just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Hello, listening friends, and welcome to a very special episode of Kenyan and Jack Save the World. Just kidding. It's the same, same, and always the same <laughs> as ever is uh, one of your faithful hosts, Kenyatta, and our other faithful host, Jack. Hi, Jack. Hello, Kenyatta. How are you doing today? Well, it's hot outside, um, but my air in the car still works, so I feel blessed. How about you? <laughs> the air in my car also works, and it is hot, and it was humid here today because it rained all overnight, and so then it got hot, and it all evaporated, and that's why I stay indoors. Mm, I try. I try, especially considering that I have a small car at the full tank is 10 gallons for me. I had the nerve to spend $15 and thought that meant something. <laughs> so you got like a half a gallon? <laughs> it was one whole quarter of a tank. I was like, I just sat there and stared at the fuel, the fuel gauge like, oh, you got jokes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I thought that was going to make any bit of a difference. And granted, still working from home. So I don't, I'm not going out every single day, but still, come on. Yeah. I yeah. just, I feel, I feel pressured. I feel pressured. That's all I can say. Otherwise though, it's all good. So hmm. I'm grateful for the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, How about you? Well, you know, there's not a whole lot going on in my world other than work and coming home and work and coming home and you know i sort of got back into my uh one of my hobbies is i do leather working i sort of gotten back into that over the last couple of weeks which has been kind of nice because i took a two-year break <laughs> mm, nice <laughs> so not the break the fact that you got back into it it's yeah. nice it's so. nice that's really about all that's going on. Do you have like a project uh, ongoing right now or something specific or? No, I, it sounds sort of weird. I've been practicing with some scrap leather uh, to make a dog collar for Higgins. Oh. But because I haven't leather worked in a while, I don't want to just go in and have that be the first thing I make and then it suck. So, <laughs> so you're gonna go ahead and put the shoulder holster to the side for a little bit until you get up to speed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, but, <laughs> you know, I could buy a custom-made leather collar for him and spend a hundred bucks, or I could just make it myself and not spend a hundred bucks. And it's it's the making that makes it that much more special, I think. Yeah. That's why all those ornaments our children gave us when they were little, little tots mean so much. Exactly. 
I hope Higgins appreciates it. I think he will. I think he will. It's beautiful. Okay. So. (laughs) That was an Academy Award winning performance. Listening audience. I could probably rival Angelina Jolie at this point. But can you rival Amber Heard? Do I want to? Well, I mean, she's good at looking sad on when it counts. It didn't help her, but. Lace I. I uh, I'm weary. I'm weary. <laughs> I just I try to stay away from that business as much as possible. All I'll say to that is we're looking at two very sad people that need some help. Yeah. Regardless of who did what to whom. It really is a sad situation. Yeah. That is that is true. I cannot argue that point. <laughs> I'm just like anything else. Mm, as, as my wife and I were talking, I'm like, it's really just sort of a matter of who's less awful. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seemed to boil down to. Honestly, I just, I wish them healing. Uh, Namaste. Okay. So <laughs> let's, uh, Let's switch up gears and get to yeah. our WTF. Let's, I guess let's get into it. I don't even remember which one of us is supposed to go first. That is you oh, this week. Okay. Well, yes. I, I got a doozy. My WTF is that tomorrow they're going to be airing during primetime, the January 6th commission findings. And all of the major TV networks are going to be airing it except for one. Can you guess? Oh. Uh, is it faux news? You are correct. Ding, 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 ding. And you even phrased it in the form of a question. Thank you. So proud to be part of this endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, one has to think that this just really sort of jives with their programming since January 6th, since for them it didn't happen, wasn't that bad. The violent parts that they showed were Antifa or Black Lives Matter, the white branch, um, the white old branch. (laughs) And, Mm. you know, none of that happened and they weren't involved in any of it, even though as it's going on, like four Fox News hosts were texting Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff telling him to stop and how bad it was going to look because they knew immediately who was doing it. And maybe Fox does not want their viewers to know that four of their hosts were pretty involved in that whole thing. Cue Macaulay Culkin home alone face. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I got... So you have the great Sean Hannity, and by great, I mean greatly awful, (laughs) who, do you recall the Chris and Andrew Cuomo thing from last year? Who doesn't? You know, Andrew was having all of his trouble because he is a serial harasser. Mm. And one of the people that was giving him advice 
but doing it from a media standpoint was his brother, Chris, who was a CNN host. And Chris got fired for that when it came out from Mm -hmm. CNN because Mm -hmm. it was not, you know, sort of the integrity of being a host on a news network. Indeed. So then, of course, all of the text messages come out, and it turns out that in the West Wing, Sean Hannity was known as the shadow chief of staff because he gave daily briefings to Mark Meadows on how Trump needed to handle things. And isn't it strange how Hannity said that it was the right thing to do for CNN to fire Cuomo because of his actions of working at a news station? But for him, because he's not a journalist, he gives opinion. It was perfectly okay. Well, if you'll recall, Chris Cuomo's show was also an opinion show. But, you know, I can't imagine someone on the right having a slight dash of hypocrisy. You remember a few episodes back we were talking about what's the difference between $3 million and $4 million? It really did. Which one is dirtier? Well, three million is, if I recall correctly, because four million is a small loan from your father, but three million is bribery. Mm -hmm. So in this case, when you're um, when you think you're being slick enough to uh, counsel your in trouble brother in code on the air, it's not good. But when you're fulfilling your patriotic American duty in uh, upholding the slander-in-chief and making sure that um, you're keeping him and his cronies aware of what's happening. That's good. That's good. Bad. Good. That's how it works. We should know this by now. We should know this by now. I know. I forgot that there are different rules for Republicans and everyone else. (sighs) Lisa. Hmm. Yep, yep. America. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, that I I just sort of thinking maybe that's why Fox doesn't want uh want to air it. Strangely enough, though, the Fox News hosts are still going to be involved in that primetime special because chances are their texts are going to be read. <laughs> yeah, they're all going to be sitting there in the in their little dress rooms, like hmm. Hmm. I still really, really, really want to know, you know, what are the sales of Maalox and Mylanta and Tums in the D.C. area right now? Like how many people are having severe gastrointestinal issues right now as we speak or actually, you know, getting down and doing their nightly prayers for the first time since they were six? How many people, how many people right now are sweating bullets? Like, hmm. I had, I was thinking about that, uh, the whole hearing yesterday, and I had a funny thought. You know how the QAnon say that there was the upcoming storm where Trump, the Justice Department, the military was going to go and start arresting all of these pedophile Democrats in very public settings and all of that. That was their whole, you know, Trump has all of that. And they called it the upcoming storm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wouldn't that just be hilarious if, say, tomorrow night as that primetime event was going on, the FBI went and started arresting all of the Republicans that we know that were involved in January 6th? It'd be like Oprah 
and you get a subpoena, and you get a subpoena, and you get a subpoena, since there's no way to duck and dodge and act like you're not home. We know where you're going to be. We're just going to show up and just, just making it rain, making it rain right there in the chamber. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Would that uh, not be something? We're going to see what's going to happen. I I just think that tomorrow is not going to be good for, I don't know, 10 or 15 Republicans that I know were probably a lot further involved than they were or than they have been putting on. And then to have the balls uh, that Kevin McCarthy had to put two of them, that was his suggestion for the January 6th committee was, well, I'll just put two people that I know were involved on the committee. Like they were going to be approved by Nancy Pelosi. It sounds like spies like us. Do you remember that horrible little movie? Um, there's some funny scenes in there, Kenyatta. Overall, though, come on. Come on. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a great movie. I'm just saying that there are some funny bits in that movie. I mean, the doctor, 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 doctor. That scene right. was priceless. But overall, but this is what it smells like to me. A bunch of bumbling idiots falling all over themselves. Like literally they left paper trail yeah. everywhere <laughs> they went. It's like robbing the 7-Eleven and then looking in the camera, smiling, and then holding up your license like, ah! this is my address. And then, it's like the guy that robbed the bank and used his birth certificate. I don't know right. if you've ever heard about that dude. I heard about the guy who tried to rob the bank and wrote the note on the back of his own deposit slip. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then when they get arrested, they're like, no, that wasn't, that's, no, that wasn't me. No, I don't know. Wow, you guys found my birth certificate. That's cool. Thanks. I needed that from a passport. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, not, it's not surprising that Fox isn't going to cover that. I mean, why would they? No. I don't know if Newsmax or OAN is going to. Probably not, because they're even more extreme than Fox. But. Yeah. But I'll, I'm not going to say I'm going to tune in the entire time. But, you know, I'll jump in and out. I'll jump yeah. in and out of my between rewatchings of old episodes of Orange is the New Black, you know, yeah. which is probably just as much drama at this point. Maybe Ooh. less. <laughs> Maybe less. Lee, <laughs> this country. I know, I know. Anyway, <sighs> that was my WTF. What is yours? Mine. Uh, I should say a front ties directly into today's topic, but I will preface that by asking you and our listening friends a question. Okay. What year is this? Uh, are you wanting the Julian calendar or the Hebrew calendar or perhaps the Arabic calendar? Because I can only give you the answer in the Julian calendar, which would okay, be... That- 2022. Thank you. Seeing as how 2022 marks what half, half almost halfway through the third year of the third decade of the 21st century, let that sink in. How far mm-hmm. along we are supposed to be here? Yes. Why in the world did we have last week happen? What I have since dubbed 
the Juneteenth watermelon salad scandal. I'll elaborate. Please do. I have not heard of this. The Children's Museum of Indianapolis, Indiana, faced criticism last week for offering what was labeled as a, quote, Juneteenth watermelon salad in their food court. A photo of the packaged salad circulated across social media as the museum was inviting attendees on Facebook to its Juneteenth Jamboree on Saturday, June 18th. The museum eventually updated the post, which received hundreds of comments discussing the salad, directing individuals to a statement and apologies shared on its website. Please explain. I'm going to say that the reason I have not heard of this is probably due to the fact that I am exceedingly white. (laughs) And I think that um, for my people, it wasn't a thing. And clearly, for your culture, it would be. For some strange unknown reason that I can't possibly think of, that I know, and so I understand why you bring this to my attention, and it's horrible. Here's the thing. <clears throat> as bass backwards as stereotypes are, a lot of them do have their origin, some little speck of truth. Now, whether it's an observable truth or just some some negative observation that got built up, Right. Over the years. Who knows? I think this is one of these things that started as, hey, we've seen a lot of black people eat watermelon. They must like it. And over the years, that's turned into something negative that yeah. apparently only black people eat watermelon. Ha ha ha. I, I, don't th- I love watermelon. Higgy Baby loves watermelon. I found that out the other day. Yeah. Higgy Baby does live him some watermelon. He does. It's delicious if you get the right one. But me saying that, or any other Black person saying that, should not reinforce the stereotype that Black people are the only ones, or are the ones that love watermelon the most. It's nonsense. But knowing that stereotype exists, why on earth would you host a celebration for Juneteenth and have the balls to have a Juneteenth watermelon salad for sale in your own food court. Um, in, in the year 2022. I Don't strain yourself. It's mostly a rhetorical question. Yeah, I, I've got, <laughs> I got nothing anyway. I, I do, do have I, a funny watermelon story with uh, a black person, though, if you want to hear it. Give me a second. Because I, to this day, I still cannot fathom or understand why, after all the talks that have been had about racial sensitivity and not exploiting stereotypes, out of all these years, and I'm not just talking about since the civil rights movement, I'm talking about since whenever, since human beings in this country decide to start classifying people based on ethnic background. Why? Are we this far along and there are still folks that want to try to get away with stuff like this? Because clearly this museum, I don't know who funds the museum, I guess private investors, who knows, 
You mean to tell me the board of this museum did not have some kind of advisory committee that told them this shit is whack. Get rid of it. No, they didn't have anybody like that. As someone who works in a museum, it's not like just one person was putting that on. So how did nobody stop and say, you know what? This might be slightly offensive. I don't and understand. Possibly racist. And perhaps yes. we shouldn't do it. Or, or did they narrow it down? This is a joke, listening friends. Don't be mad at me. I'm I'm being a smart ass here. Or did they narrow it down? Did they were they originally gonna have watermelon fried chicken and chitlins? And you know, they just settled on the watermelon. You know, uh golfer got in trouble for that very same thing <laughs> when he suggested that for the masters for the masters dinner when tiger was still playing i digress it's only funny because folks still do this stuff and shrug like it's not supposed to be a big deal like we're supposed to be quote unquote post racial but you keep doing this kinds Stupid of stuff shit. Stupid shit that you should know better. <laughs> what in the world? I am over it. I just, I want to lay down and take like uh, a three week nap and make it all go away. <clears throat> Alas, I cannot because we have a mission. Right. This is what we do. So we have to wade through this kind of duty. But damn it, it stinks. Yeah, the only time you should offer watermelon salad is if it's like a watermelon festival. I've heard of places that put those on. There's one in Oklahoma. There, uh, There's a place in Oklahoma called Rush Springs, and it is known for its watermelons. And every year they put on a watermelon festival when they come into season. I have never gone to it because well, I don't want to drive to Rush Springs. That's 100% the reason why. And I could go and buy a watermelon at the store and not have to drive to Rush Springs. But they have a festival for watermelons. That is an acceptable time to have a watermelon salad. <laughs> because it's a festival celebrating the delicious melon. The museum, with their apology, often an explanation... And, you know, allegedly they had some kind of thought process that went into that and said, watermelon, along with other red foods, are a staple of Juneteenth celebrations, which is accurate. Red mm -hmm. foods are. But there's a reason why it's red. Think about all the things that led up to Juneteenth happening. We're talking about bloodshed. We're talking about sacrifice. That's the reason why. But once again, while these folks over here claiming we were actually trying to attempting or we're going to tell you we were trying to do something noble and respectful, it just came off hokey as hell. Yeah. And I want them to fire everybody that was involved in this and let them go be successful somewhere else. Okay. I wish them well. Let them be successful doing something else. Don't ever let them advise any other kind of cultural event ever yeah i'm yeah i mean I'm, 
when you're going to do something that dumb, you know, and it's not cancel culture, that would be consequence culture. Oh, boy. So anyway. Yeah. We all, we, we're all going to get it all at the same time one day. Eventually. I, I would certainly hope so. That's all I can do is hope. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, so you're ready man. for my funny story. Yes. It's so when I was, when I was in the Army, when I was in the Army, my NCOIC was a gentleman named uh, Sergeant Willie Singleton. And he was from the lovely town of Chicago. And he was, uh, we were deployed. And when that, when that happens, sometimes, you know, you're walking back from the shower and you're just wearing the towel so you kind of see people, you know, in their birthday suit. And Sergeant Singleton had all of these weird dot imprints on his ass. Somebody was like, what the hell are those scars? And he's like, I do not want to tell you. And so after like, a, he's, you know, he's getting dressed and everybody's like, no, 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 you got to tell us. And finally he says, I don't want to tell you because it reinforces a racial stereotype and I'm embarrassed by it. And he said, do tell. Oh, God. So when he was a teenager in his neighborhood, there was an empty lot. And there was an older gentleman that turned that empty lot into a garden. But that older gentleman did not like it when people took the food from the garden, even though technically he did not own said lot, right? <laughs> but in his mind, it was his garden because he's the one that planted everything and tended to it. I'm not saying whether he was right or wrong. I'm just stating that was his opinion. And Sergeant Singleton was telling us how they used to go in to get fresh you know, vegetables or fruit, and then he would chase them off. And he said one year they went in there and his garden was full of all of these delicious, large, ripe watermelons. And him and his buddies decided that they wanted some fresh watermelon. And so each one of them grabbed a watermelon from the guy's garden. But what they didn't know was he was expecting them and he was standing in a darkened corner with a shotgun that had some bird shot in it. And as they were running off, he shot them in the ass. He, he started shooting the gun or the shotgun. And Sergeant Singleton got shot in the ass with birdshot as he was still <laughs> the watermelon in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why he does not like to tell that story. Because in his mind, it is the worst way to reinforce a stereotype <laughs> that I could possibly <laughs> contribute to. <laughs> I, I I absolutely see his point. I really do. I just, <laughs> woo, what you said, the garden. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you knew where it was going. <laughs> I knew where it was going. Bless his heart. Oh, my gosh. That is the worst. Yeah. He, well, I actually said the only thing that was worse was going home and having to explain to his mom why he had bird shot in his ass. And he couldn't sit straight for two weeks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is the worst. Oh, man. Sergeant Singleton, if you're listening, I'm sorry to tell your your history. Because I did not give him a fake name. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It was Sergeant... It was Sergeant 
married men, not singled men. It was Sergeant Beetle Bailey. Okay, so <laughs> oh, that's Private Beetle Bailey. He was a private, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, his advice was never steal watermelon. I mean, it's good advice. It's words to live by. I've Ooh. lived by it ever since. I can see why. Ooh, goodness gracious! And on that note. <laughs> And on with that <laughs> note, reinforcing racial stereotypes that, well, it's funny. It needed to be told. Oh, boy. Uh, listening friends, I'll, I'll say this again. We laugh because it keeps us from screaming. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Laughter's, what do, what do they say? The best medicine? Yes. Laughter is the best medicine. Oh, golly. It, it works better than ivermectin. So I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I have heard. And on that note. Let's transition out of this because we're WTF and ourselves here. <laughs> to, to, anyway, we're going to transition into our main topic for this episode, which, as I mentioned, uh, my WTF was directly related to it. Today, we'll be discussing Juneteenth. Or yes. June 19th and the significance behind that particular date. So, a little context because it does come from somewhere. And so this, this you know, I won't take too long with it because a lot of it we mostly have heard in our, our history classes growing up, but it does serve its purpose. So, that guy, Abraham Lincoln, y'all know him. He was elected 16th president of the United States in 1860 and served from 1861 to his assassination in 1865. These are facts that we already know. He did indeed have many achievements in his relatively four, four years is four years, but he did quite a bit during his four years in office. And one of his most notable achievements was the passing of what's called the Emancipation Proclamation, which was yes. an edict that freed the enslaved that lived in the then Confederate States in the year of 1863. Now, it has been said that Lincoln hated the institution of slavery. As he stated in a speech in Peoria, Illinois, in the year 1854, quote, if the Negro is a man, why then my ancient faith teaches me that all men are created equal and that there can be no moral right in connection with one's man, one man's making a slave of another. However, he didn't believe that the Constitution gave the federal government the right to abolish slavery in the states where it already existed only to prevent it from spreading further west. But the ability to restrain the spread of slavery was hampered by the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. And what this act did, it organized the territory of Nebraska. There's a couple other states involved. Don't quote me off the top of my head, I can't say. But it organized the territory in the actual states and allow the possibility that slavery could indeed eventually spread to areas where it had been previously banned. By the time Lincoln made his first inaugural speech in 1861, seven Southern states had already seceded from the Union. Of course, as we know, with more to come, eventually a total of 11 states 
stood up and said, you are not going to take away our rights to secure our economy, i.e. continue to have slaves. And so they decided to split off from the Union and form their very own, very special Confederate States of America. The Civil War, again, more history class, commenced on April 12th, 1861, when Confederate troops fired on South Carolina's Fort Sumter. And that war continued on for nearly four years. As a gentle reminder, the Confederacy lost. <clears throat> so... Are you sure about that? Because I I know a lot of people that like to wave their flag. Well, we can't help everybody. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> the purpose of Lincoln's wanting to uh, issue the Emancipation Proclamation was a part was partly a warning to those Confederate states to end their rebellion, as it was called, the uh, Confederate Rebellion or the Southern Rebellion, and rejoin the Union. In addition, Lincoln was feeling pressure from Northern abolitionists that wanted him to free the enslaved in the South, to cripple their economy, Mm -hmm. and to further force their hand to rejoin the Union. Not to mention the fact Lincoln was already concerned about re-election and knew he needed to have the support of those Northern abolitionists. So the proclamation was put together primarily for those reasons at first, strictly as an effort to keep the union together. Mm -hmm. Lincoln wrote in an editorial published in the Daily National Intelligencer in August 1862 that, quote, my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union, and it is not either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. Just to interject, I can think of no more proper example of political speak than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) If maybe, then some, maybe not, maybe so, sort of. However, there were several of Lincoln's cabinet who didn't believe the Union would be able to enforce the proclamation. However, with the Union forcing Confederate troops out of Maryland at the Battle of Antietam on September 16, 1862, Lincoln and his cabinet finally decided they could enforce the proclamation, and he did so five days later, September 22, 1862. When the Confederacy chose not to rejoin the Union by January 1st, 1863, the proclamation was finalized on that date and freed all slaves in the Confederate South, at least just on paper. Right. So, as I mentioned to you pre-show, Jack, I had never, for some reason, read the Emancipation Proclamation, so I did so, and I would like to include an excerpt here. Go for it. Which is the first portion of the finalized version of that proclamation, quote, by the president of the United States of America, a proclamation, period. Whereas on the 22nd day of September in the year of our Lord, 1862, a proclamation was issued by the president of the United States containing, among other things, the following to wit, 
that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free in the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and mm-hmm. will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom. Woo. <clears throat> I say it freed enslaved selves on paper because the Southern states has, had seceded. They were no longer part of the union. So this, it, this edict only had an effect on those states that he was actually still over. In effect, no, no longer the Southern states. Right. It was more of a symbolic proclamation than anything, but the symbolism meant something. So, right. If obviously there was still more time of the Civil War to be fought, mm-hmm. and which I guess slow played it because. You know, the North did eventually start taking over, or not taking over, gaining back, I guess, however you want to phrase it, Mm -hmm. southern states. And as they did that, people were slowly freed. Mm -hmm. So while it didn't actually at the moment free anybody, when as the North was able to go in and take over these states, it it was at least a good thing that there was a mechanism in place that freed the slaves as it happened. Now, the next question is, did the slaves know they were free (laughs) as it came through? And that would be sort of the question. And because I'm I'm fairly certain plantation owners weren't going in there and saying, hey, you know what? Lincoln did that bastard. (laughs) But he ain't going to do he ain't going to make it here. So don't worry about it. Let's go have a mint julep. Indeed. (laughs) And you are more right than you know. (laughs) Word did spread slowly. And as you said, there were efforts efforts made by slaveholders and plantation owners to prevent their slaves from finding out, to disavow that information and pretty much say that it wasn't true. Or for states that were further west, they didn't hear the news for some time. But in the areas, and like you said, either the areas that the Union took control of that had slaves, they found out about it and gained their freedom. Or as slaves flee the South into Union-controlled territories, they gained their freedom, which then allowed, once uh, Lincoln also allowed uh, colored troops into the Union, allowed for roughly, I believe it was like 250,000 freedmen to mm-hmm. join the union side which swayed the progress of the battle i mean the whole war a great deal there's an excellent movie on that listening friends called glory has mm-hmm. uh, uh ferris bueller in it who matthew whatever i can't think of his name other than ferris bueller matthew broderick <laughs> thank you him Ma- matthew broderick uh morgan freeman and denzel a beautiful performance by Denzel Washington, uh, for which it, he, for which he rightfully won Best Supporting Actor. Anyway, it it is an excellent film. If you haven't seen it, 
I highly recommend it. Absolutely. So as word spread of the impending uh, passage of this proclamation, many enslaved people eagerly awaited the arrival of the beginning of 1863. December 31st of 1862 was called Freedom's Eve, which had all of all blacks freed and enslaved awaiting the exact moment the calendar would flip to January 1st, which meant the proclamation went into effect. Freedom's Eve was eventually rechristened as Watch Night, which is still celebrated in many Black Christian churches to this day. Now, I am glad that you included that mm-hmm. because I have seen, you know, on the the church, not billboard, you know, the signs in front of churches mm-hmm. driving around. And usually it is, you know, a, a mostly black church where I have seen stuff. Our celebration for that is coming up. Not often, but I have seen churches that do celebrate that. And I never really knew what it was. So mm-hmm. now I know. That's where it comes from. Yes, indeed. So. As we mentioned a moment ago, even with the issue, the issuance of the proclamation, many slaves were not truly and fully emancipated until the Union won the Civil War. Spoiler in 18, excuse me, in April of 1865, that in the ratification of the 13th Amendment, outlawing slavery, was um, in December of that same year, were supposed to, supposed to in quotes, end that peculiar institution. Despite these things happening, as we mentioned earlier, many slave owners denied letting their slaves go and tried to prevent them from learning of their freedom. Slave owners, and it's like I said, especially those states that were further west that Union armies weren't able to control fully or just hadn't made their way to, such as Texas. Slave owners there continued on with that business early in 1865. Again, with very little union uh, presence to enforce the order until June of that year. Union Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865, two and a half years after the proclamation went into effect to inform the slaves still there of the passage of the order and the end of the Civil War. Keep in mind that... um, Again, while slave owners did their best to try to keep the news from the slaves they had, many slaves that were in those southern states did escape to Union-controlled areas, but there were still slaves there in Texas. So, as a result of Granger's Order Number 3 and his his army's control over that area of Texas, slave owners there were forced to finally recognize the proclamation. General Order Number 3 reads as such. Quote, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. uh, Juneteenth Independence Day was created a year later in 1866. And it's sometimes known as Freedom Day, Emancipation Day, or more commonly, Juneteenth. 
It was celebrated annually and usually marked with rodeos, barbecues, and various kinds of parties. The common themes during these celebrations included education, self-improvement. Now, most of these celebrations in the early years took place, uh, obviously in Galveston, but in many other uh, towns in Texas and throughout the Midwest. And in years since, it spread out to other areas, to other towns and things that would have their own annual celebrations. But in the early days, sometimes it was difficult for uh, Blacks to get together and have these celebrations because the areas they wanted to have them in were denied to them. No doubt. I I can't believe that. Mm, I know, right? So, uh, and I believe it was in Galveston where some some local Black businessmen got together and purchased land for them to have their own, as their own, and to be able to have any kind of activity they wanted to without having to suffer the whims of their white neighbors. So. The early 1900s saw a decline in Juneteenth celebrations as the move from home education to classroom education tended to focus less on the history and lives of former slaves. The depression forced many people from farms into bigger cities, bigger industrialized cities to find work, and they were usually unable to take days off to celebrate Juneteenth unless that day fell on a weekend. However, the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s saw a resurgence in Juneteenth interests as many young activists saw the struggle as equivalent to those of their enslaved ancestors. Texas was the first to declare the day as a holiday in 1980. And over the years, many other states followed suit, either formally or informally or symbolically. And eventually, in the wake of country in worldwide protests over police brutality incidents in 2020, President Joseph Robinette Biden signed into law the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act to make the day a federal holiday on June 17, 2021. Today, in cities across the country, the day is marked by remembrance, reunions, festivals, parades, pageants, and most notably for many Black Americans, a way to celebrate true freedom and to be able to call this day the country's second Independence Day. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for giving your TED Talk. (laughs) While I did know some of that, I did not know a lot of it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know. Obviously, I knew that just due to the nature of how slow things moved back in those days that Mm -hmm. it took a while for everybody to, you know, be emancipated (laughs) from, as, as, as I mentioned a little earlier. Right. Um, But some of the other aspects of it, I didn't realize how, you know, it was tied to the January 1st thing and, and how they're linked and, I did not realize that Texas made it a state holiday as far back as 1980. Not that Mm -hmm. that's far back, but for this, that's far back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? True. True. Yes. Yes. And I do, of course, remember last year when uh, President Biden made it a a federal holiday. Mm -hmm. And 
living where I do in Oklahoma, I do not see it becoming a state holiday anytime soon. Hmm. Um, just based upon certain political parties in charge of the state. But it should be. It, it's something that every American needs to know about. And you need to know the reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's anything that rhymes quite as well as Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, that we could get the point out of <laughs> June. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it needs to be marketed better. Uh, that was kind of a joke, but people need no, to let, mean- know what it's a, what it actually is, not just. It's more important than that's the day that the last group of slaves realized they were free, right? It's more important than that. It's more than that. It really is. It's more than that. As as a matter of fact, where I live at, um, we have an HBCU not too far from me um, called Hampton University. Mm -hmm. And there is a tree there that was there when slaves in this part of Virginia had the proclamation read to them. It's called the Emancipation Oak. Mm-hmm. It is a huge, beautiful tree. And I've, I've been on campus and seen it before. Like that has a lot of relevance in our part of the, our part of the state, especially. And depending on where you go in the country, you know, you'll find, you know, certain cities or certain regions that have their own particular way of celebrating or acknowledging it. So it's it's a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, considering the fact that it all stems from an area whose slaves were denied knowing about this piece of relevant information because people can want to continue to make a buck off of them, basically. It's, yeah. it's just... I'd say gross, but that's that's just that's a, too inadequate of a word. I mean, the whole that whole quote peculiar institution was gross from top to bottom. Anyway, I mean, there's no right. there's no there's no getting around that part. But the fact that you've got a proclamation, you've got the fact that your side lost in the, in the big fight, and now you have an amendment that says, "Hey, you can't do this anymore," and you still sit there and say. Nah, we just gonna carry on act like we didn't know none of this. It 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 didn't happen. No, no, it didn't happen. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to verbalize correctly what I want to say. There's a tendency of white people that when you recognize the history of things that happened to our fellow black Americans in this country, where it not only becomes like recognized in the black community, but the the country as a whole, there's always a portion of white people that try to minimize the whole thing. How many times do you hear something like, well, I heard this a bunch last year and it was, well, why do they need Juneteenth to be a holiday? They have Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, I heard that too. That's shitty <laughs> to say, number one. But recognizing various aspects for why we have holidays is important. Not just because you get the day off, which just happens to be a nice benefit from it. But it creates 
context and texture and knowledge of things that happened in this country. Mm -hmm. And even if what, see, this is where I'm having problems. (laughs) It's important to know, and it's important for our children to know. And we need to remember this. And my fellow white folks, before you say that this is stupid, there are still people that scream, remember the Alamo. Right. Right. There Mm -hmm. are, if you go in Europe, holidays and monuments to things that happened five, six, seven hundred years ago. So when I hear a white person say something like, well, this isn't important. They should just get over it. No. No. If there's stuff to us that is still important 700 years later, there's stuff to everybody that happened in the collective past for them that is important. And Mm -hmm. it is important as a nation for us to recognize these events so that it doesn't happen again. Yes. We need need to know it. It is important. And yes, getting a new day off from work is a nice thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But ultimately what the day represents is what's important. And it's why we need to have that day. You know what I mean? You don't hear people that complain about uh, veterans day on November 11th, not being important, but that's just, you know, that's just only for, people in the military that, you know, why do we have to do that? Can you imagine someone saying that? People would clutch their collective chests and fall over. How dare you? Right. How dare you see what they did to Kaepernick? You know how people feel about the military. (laughs) Yeah. But as we have discussed now, mostly this was back in February, but the history of black Americans is the history of all Americans. Yep. We're we're one country. I think. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 that's fine. I think I, I'm at the end of my, ineloquently worded. Uh, what I was trying to say. So. No, it it was it was it was not in at all. It wasn't that at all. Um. I've been trying to make sense of why. That that tends to happen a lot. And I know obviously to some extent it is just about, you know, for big businesses, it is just about trying to commodify it and commercialize it and make a buck off of it. Okay, sure. This is a capitalistic society. I mean, what what more can you expect from that particular faction? I, but- I can see it now, the <clears throat> Juneteenth mattress sells. <laughs> Will it overtake the President Day mattress sales numbers? Oh boy! Sorry. <laughs> or they'll, you know, somebody, some fashion designer will come out with a line of clothing, you know, with print of the actual Emancipation Proclamation text. Anyway, and they probably would have used to work at the Indianapolis Children's Museum. They might have. They might have. <laughs> but I think, like I said, the, the whole idea of why that's so hard to accept has that's confused me for a very long time. It's not as though anybody has been lying to them this whole time. It's that those portions of history that make 
the majority feel uncomfortable, get left out. That sounds simple and it, it's, it, it is simple, but it's not the, it's the starting, it's the jumping off point. It's not all there is to it. I don't think, I think that when some folks start to think more deeply about that and realize that while it may have not necessarily been anybody directly in their lineage to know that somebody in their ethnic group, in the majority ethnic group in this country went so low as to do these things that were done to another group of people. They can't, they can't fathom it and they can't have an fat. They can't fathom having to rearrange, reevaluate all the things they've learned and all the ways that they've lived up until that moment of time, because what if they're possibly guilty of something too, not to that extent, Mm -hmm. but something. And I think to to even feel even the remote amount of guilt being associated with atrocities like slavery and the dirty legacy that is left left behind from them up until now, to be associated with that, I think is a it's something I think a lot of white folks can't bear, and so they just dismiss it altogether. Right. It it's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. And and the funny thing is, while, yes, no one alive today is guilty of having been a plantation slave owner. Right. But what you are guilty of in the refusal to acknowledge, to teach, (laughs) to educate about the shitty things, what you are guilty of is minimizing a whole aspect of your fellow Americans. Yep. You're yep. you're minimizing a whole group of people. And as a whole, individually, just individually as a person, when you are minimized, that that can hurt you, you know, mentally. Just if you have parents that treat you like shit and they minimize you your entire life, when you grow up, you have a lot of freaking mental health issues, right? If you have coworkers that minimize you, it can make working in that place very, very difficult. And mm-hmm. yet, there's a whole group of people that have no problem minimizing their fellow Americans because to not do so means that you have to stand up and be like, you know what? This is what our country did in the past. It was shitty. Obviously, I can't do anything to change what happened in the past, but I can change the way we move going forward. Right. And I think I, I, I and, and to piggyback that, I think it might end up being overwhelming to some people to consider having to do that because they have to first consider whether or not they've contributed or how they've benefited. They don't want to mm-hmm. do that. And you can't fix a problem that you refuse to identify. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the, the struggle for these, for uh, for full understanding of these kinds of things, it's it's always going to be an uphill batter, battle. I don't think, I have 
I have a certain amount of faith that the more people open up and listen to these things without prejudice, without taking it personal, without being thin-skinned about it, with an ability to, to accept the truth for what it is, the more people that can do that bit by bit by bit will see something shift. But it's a long way down the road. It might not happen in our lifetime. It might not happen in our kids or our grandkids or so on and so forth. <clears throat> but like, like we've been paying attention to stuff that's been happening, like, you know, most of the world been happening in the last two years. And I think a lot of people have had the opportunity for some serious self-evaluation, small and large. And like yeah. everybody, everybody is coasting on, you know, low grade PTSD from all this. And, and I don't even mean that in a funny way. Like, I, I feel I feel like what happened in 2020 was it was like literally a social earthquake. It shook things up, not just this country, but worldwide. Yeah. And I mean, in this country, yeah, we've seen the dust settle. Unfortunately, I think that was going to be inevitable because some people just found it trendy. And, um, you know, once the hubbub was over, they just went back to business as usual can't go back to business as usual anymore for a variety of reasons. So I think this is just like forever going to be, what's the story about the guy who was punished by having to push the boulder up the rock and only to have it fall, but Cepheus or whoever. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Push the boulder all the way, almost to the top of the hill, only to have it roll back down. I think it's just going to be constantly like that. Constantly. Where... But every time it gets rolled up the hill, you might get it an inch further up than before, before it rolls back down again. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, we're and you know, yes, bad, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. In the last two years, like you said, we've, as things have come up, so many people have changed with their attitude and not I'm not saying embraced, but accepted. This is what happened. And I need to make sure and do my part that it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And then there's another group of people that have said, yeah, this may have happened, but it's not happening now. And it makes me really uncomfortable. So we're just not going to talk and we're just going to pretend that said thing didn't happen. That doesn't solve anything. Mm -mm. Nope. And just honestly, it doesn't solve your guilt. Of, obviously you feel guilty about things that happened in the past because you don't want to talk about it. You you feel something. Something is triggering you. And maybe that requires some self-reflection that a lot of people just, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it because really in the usual course of their day, getting up, going to work, going to the bar, going to the movies, whatever, whatever, in the usual course of the average day for white folks, they don't have to think about any other people outside of folks that look like them. And I don't mean that in any kind of disparaging manner. But to a certain extent, with who they get exposed to, whether it's who they work with or who they live near or who they shop with or who they see on TV and in movies, 
people, those people look like them. So they really, they really don't often have to contend with dealing with or considering people outside their ethnic group or their socioeconomic group or whatever, what have you. So yeah. the minute they're they're the minute they feel like they're being forced to do it, they push back that much harder. But there's nothing wrong here, so I don't see what there is to talk about. Right, I was in the past. Yeah. While at the same time saying something like, "Well, they already have Martin Luther King Day." Okay, stop. When you said they, exactly right there, <laughs> <laughs> that's where the problem started with they. No. We're, we're all Americans. Martin Luther King was an American. And we as Americans have Martin Luther King Day. And we as Americans should know about Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. And if it's a day that's a holiday that we celebrate, or you know what I mean, celebrate the freedom of getting the information, because being emancipated, then that's what we need to do because it's important for the country. Mm-hmm. And it's not they have, we have. Mm-hmm. We have. We have this, and this is why. Yeah. And this is why it should matter to you. It should matter to you what has happened in the past. Otherwise, you wouldn't be boring tens of thousands of school children to death every single day by teaching them history. Right. <laughs> exactly. If it didn't and, matter, you wouldn't bother at all. Yeah. And I'm going to, we're getting close to the end of our recording time. And I'm sure. going to end with uh, uh, with a challenge for our listening audience. But this is sort of more um, for my my white brethren. So there are people that sort of in the annals of American history that are considered, you know, heroic and heroes of the country. Your George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt. FDR, John F. Kennedy. Depends on your viewpoint. I know that's not universal. I'm just throwing out some names because that's who I can think about. Heck, John Wayne. (laughs) But there's also a whole slew of people that are American heroes. But as a white community, we've never heard of them because they are American heroes to the black community. And we've highlighted several of those people uh, during the course of our podcast. Mm-hmm. But we could almost make an f- entire podcast about important people and heroes to the Black community and never run out of content. No. So here's my challenge. Every week for the next month this month of june google you can just google important people to black history and do a deep dive on that person i promise you you can go to youtube there there is probably an online um, college you know class where it's online talking about said person they're, they're probably reenactors for said person, sort of like the, the Herman Banning reenactor that we had on when we highlighted Herman Banning. Mm-hmm. And learn about these people because if they're important 
to the black community that are black Americans, they're important to all Americans. Yep. And rather than bury your head in the sand, go and learn and, and take the time to learn about people and that are important to American history. And you'll be pleasantly surprised. And, you know, there's more, there's more than Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. Basically. So that is my challenge to you. And it's really a challenge for all of our listeners, but especially um, our white listeners. (laughs) Go ahead and do that. You'll, you will be surprised. Some of the, the neatest for me, some of the neatest things about doing this podcast with Kenyatta is all of the things that I have learned. Same. Yep. So. I like anyway. that. I like that. That's listening, my challenge. Listening friends. Yes. You will, you will probably be surprised and shocked at what you find out. And I expect five paragraph essays and I want you to please send them after you write them to essays at Kenyatta and Jack save the world at gmail.com. Um, please use APA citation guidelines. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and the Oxford comma to make my wife happy. Also, thanks. Yes. <laughs> I Last- jest about the, the five paragraph essay. <laughs> I'm not jesting about the learning about someone that's important aspect of it. Yes. That is important. I, I believe maybe starting at something like that, which is relatively small, maybe that's the kind of thing that will make the country better as a whole. We're working on it. We are working on it. As a final note, if I may. Go ahead. I'd like, I'd like to retell a small story of when I was in high school. Back in rec- Midwest City? That is correct, sir. I don't remember the teacher's name, but you remember how just before first class of the day, if you got to school early enough, you could go to, like there was a room set off, I think it was like in uh, B Hall like the first floor B hall. It was like a little student store. You could buy yes. snacks and stuff. Yes. And they sold donuts. Mm-hmm. So you, you had to get there at a certain point in the day to make sure you got donuts. Well, they went fast. They did. Because they were a quarter. They were. That tells you how long ago we were in school, folks. They were delicious. Any hoot. <laughs> I think it was, was it Winchell's? Was it Winchell's? I don't remember. I just remember they were delicious. Or maybe it was because it was high school and that was actually a treat back then. Anyway. So a friend, uh, me and a friend of mine got there one morning uh, before class, and I think somebody had drove. I think that's why we managed to get there early enough. So me and my friend go over there, and, you know, we want donuts. So, again, I don't recall the teacher's name, and really, not to be mean about it, I don't know that it matters concerning what he said. Uh, My friend was wearing a T-shirt, which was popular at the time. Because I want to say this is around just after the time that Spike Lee's uh, fantastic retelling of the life of Malcolm X had come out. Right. And so everybody was enthralled with the uh, old picture of Malcolm X standing at the window of his living room in his own home, holding a rifle with mm-hmm. the caption by any means necessary below it. So this is the T-shirt that my friend had on that day. 
And we go up to the, you know, to the door asking for a couple of donuts. He says, sure, turns around, you know, napkins, donuts, we give him money. And he stops and he knows who's my friend's t-shirt and says, you know, Malcolm X was a racist. And me and my friend, two black kids that, you know, are thinking about a movie that we had just not, you know, seen not too, too long ago that we were absolutely fascinated with. We just look at each other and go, huh. We thank him for our donuts. We go about our day. I didn't really reckon with that at the time, and nor mm-hmm. for some time after until the first time I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and had watched the movie again. And then since the years has gone on, I realized why he said that and why learning the true story behind iconic figures like Malcolm X, Michael X, so necessary. Like him, him, Malcolm X being labeled a racist is so ridiculously idiotic and simplistic. It's laughable. That that was nothing about what he was about. If you know that, any, that is big in the conservative community. Yes, the in the conservative sort of mind speak and everything that gets talked about. Um, this is not my words. I'm just sort of phrasing it in the way that it would be phrased. Martin Luther King is the good one, mm-hmm. and Malcolm X was the bad one. Right. Malcolm X was racist, and Martin Luther King wasn't. And knowing a little more about what I do now, both really kind of had sort of some similarities it and did. some not similarities. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's like everybody. And truthfully, with Jim Crow laws and the way black people were treated back then, you would probably come off as slightly angry too. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) I would think so. And I said, granted, and I'm I'm not trying to go into the whole spiel about it, but, you know, being a part of the nation of Islam at the time, there were things that Malcolm X said that went with his beliefs and the beliefs of the nation that over time, as his relationship with the nation slowly dissolved and, you know, he realized the more base, am I saying the right word? The more base um, intentions of the people who ran the nation at the time, um, his, his faith never wavered, but his belief in the organization did. And so he set out on his own to broaden his mind and evolve himself, which involved his um, his trip to Mecca. And from that point on, he says it in the book and they quote it in the movie, his mind evolved that he saw brothers of every nationality and race and ethnicity all praying to the same God. And that was, you know, that was the start or I guess the epiphany he had to understand that while he had said certain things against the white community in America, that at the time for him made sense, he realized that he still had a long way to go. So you could say he had something against white Americans at some point. Sure. But to just simplify and say he was a racist and leave it at that. Again, like we were saying earlier, that's just a way to minimize 
what he contributed to not right. that he was necessarily a part of the civil rights movement per se, but to try to minimize the contributions that he gave to the black community as a whole. Well, let, let's just say that he was a full blown on racist that hated all white people. You can still change. Mm-hmm. It, even if that was the case, you can still change. And the thing that he, and I, you know, he did, he, I said, he ended up being like the official spokesman right. at some point, and he deeply believed what he was saying, no question about it, because he couldn't he couldn't effectively spread the message if he didn't. Right. But at the same time, the things that you know, the events that took place in the nation at the time, and especially those actions that were taken against him, made him start reevaluating who he was dealing with, and. You know, what 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 did these people believe? What was he supposed to believe? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking of, you know, as I watch, I, I watch Malcolm X probably at least once a year, <laughs> just because. And I try to read the book, you know, at least that many times, too, because every time I read it, I always get something new out of it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just one person who's lived, you know, this kind of life. And I had this kind of experience. He was just one person who lived a certain kind of life. And granted, he Mm -hmm. did far more than I'll ever do. But if he can have that radical kind of of change of heart, who can't? Right. Exactly. Why is it so hard for so many others to take that route too? It won't as, necessarily as we've a, talked about many times, you shouldn't yes. be the same person today that you were five years ago. You should and not. Even if Malcolm X was the most racist black person that ever lived in 1952, when he was assassinated, he was not that person. He had changed. He did. I'm saying even if he was, obviously, I'm not right, right. saying that. But, but either, either way it goes, he did. He evolved. He grew. His mindset expanded. It's possible. It's possible, and it doesn't require someone attempting to take you out to have it have happen. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. his yeah. story obviously is one of extremes, but it yes. doesn't mean that it. You know, it doesn't mean that it can't happen. I guess you'd say, and that again, it just illustrates the need to know the whole of a piece of history before you just go labeling labeling it something unimportant or something to be commercialized or. You know, yeah. dusted under the rug. <sighs> I'm putting my soapbox up now. <laughs> no, no, I, that, that's an important. It's an important thing to talk about. Yeah, and sort of like I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. there are more people that you. You know what? If you go and find out the life of Mal- Malcolm X, is part of my challenge. Challenge that I made. That would be a fine person to sort of learn to see how a person can change and evolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimately, give their life up for a movement. Oh boy. Hmm. Yeah, I sense you said I'm going to go ahead and watch it again this weekend. Hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> On that note, listening friends, we thank you for hanging out with us once again. We hope you have, as with every episode, we hope you have learned something and that you have been moved and inspired in some way because baby steps 
are steps nonetheless. So we thank you. We wish you well. Um, be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Hang in there. If you're here listening to it, that means we're still going. So hang in there. The world is on fire. We're trying to put it out. <laughs> it's hard when it's just two of us. <laughs> Indeed. I'm tired. <laughs> Man, I don't run, so it's not like I'm running to put these fires out. I don't run either, so what are you saying? <laughs> All right, friends, thanks again for hanging out with us, and we wish you a good day until the next time. Yep, have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Let us hear your feedback. You can find us on our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, on Facebook, or you can email us at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. You can also find further information about our chosen charities at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. And because we always want you to be good to yourselves and others, if you or anyone you know needs help or support, please check out the resources provided by the American Psychological Association at apa.org slash topics slash crisis dash and Jack Save the World is a production of Hyper Focus Podcasts.